way out, go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 10 this morning from where we left off last week. As Jesus is preaching the sermon and teaching the Sermon on the Mount, as it's been called. So starting in verse 10, we're going to read down to verse 16. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, let's pray as we get into it this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for the blessings of your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege you give us to come and to worship you Lord, in all our brokenness and all our sin, God, in all this week has given us and dealt to us, Lord, we can come standing before you, worshiping you, Lord, and enjoying you. God, I pray that you would just focus our hearts and minds on your word. Let us hear and see what it is you have for each and every one of us, Lord. Let it be your words and not my own. God, we just love you. God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. So as we continue this morning, we're going to continue in this idea that we've been talking about, we the kingdom. The, the, the idea that the Sermon on the Mount is kind of, a, uh, it's kind of a kingdom contract or kingdom constitution where Jesus is laying out for his people, like, hey, if you have any questions about what it looks like to navigate as people in the kingdom of God, this is where it is. And I love the place. I love the place where Jesus started because he started it at a, at a place where all of us can be, where all of us can relate, the poor in spirit. That was the very first place that he brought to us. And you know, in understanding our spiritual poverty and understanding how much we need Christ and understanding how much we need from him. And then he kind of progressively moved from within us to outside of us immediately. And then he goes even further. And what's so unique about this, what Jesus is doing and the thing that I think we have to always understand in this progression, how Jesus makes this very accessible in the beginning, the poor in spirit, the meek, you know, the the kind of the lowly status uh, 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 spirit you know, those who mourn, we understand the depth of our sin and how it negatively affects us and the people around us. And then going on to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and all we talked about even last week, uh, you know, the, the, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, you know, and that was kind of getting more external, how we treat each other, how we act to the people around us and how what God prepared us for begins to produce from us. And then so now we're moving into a place that we have to understand this is where Jesus has been going and this is where the Beatitudes begin to end and transition is on this point where we understand that Christ has been preparing and prepping and pointing towards a cultural encounter. 
Because everything else has been internal, then it moves to how we interact with each other, but now he's moving into the cultural encounter. Because it's inevitable. It's inevitable that our Christian faith is going to collide with culture at some point, and so he's preparing them. He's helping us understand that this is where it all begins. You know, and this is a place at which for us as Christians we can get confused sometimes because a lot of times we like to skip over our own vulnerabilities, our own poverty of spirit, and we like to move straight to the cultural encounter when in reality we're not ready to engage the culture until we understand how much we need Christ. We as individuals have to know where we are and where we stand with Christ before we can ever lean into the lives of someone else because that's where the production of legalism comes from. It's very easy to know sets of rules and to lay out sets of rules, and that's very black and white. But in reality, it's not like that when we engage the culture. We have to understand because for us, for me, the only way that I can do anything for Christ is first understanding what Christ has done for me. I have to understand the lowly state at which I am separate from him. The lowly status that I navigate as a human being separate from Christ. Because then that allows us to enter into the cultural space with humility. To understand what it is, the gravity and the power and the strength of what it is that Christ gives to us that the world desperately needs. And so with that, all of this preparation has been leaning towards a cultural encounter. And this is how he lays out for us what the cultural encounter will be. As he tells us that the reception would not be a full embrace. He tells us, he begins to lay this out. He says in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so he's telling us, be ready. Be ready to make defense. You know, and defense isn't always necessarily an argument, but defense is being on the ready. Being on the ready to know that the opposition is going to come. When Peter writes this, that's what he has in mind. He, I believe he has Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in mind when he's contemplating the persecution to come. And Peter, knowing firsthand, dying as a martyr, would know what it meant to engage and embrace the culture or engage the culture with his beliefs and how that culture would react and receive. And so then Jesus begins to lay out these cultural encounters and how to navigate it, how to deal with it, and how to understand it and think through it. And the first thing he begins to say is we see kind of a, a continuation. Verses 9 and 10 are kind of one beatitude put together. And so he says this here. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then in verse 10, he says, blessed are, those, are, are, are you when others revile you and persecute you. So this is kind of the same idea, but kind of, the, uh, it's kind of broken into two different spots, but the same cultural encounter, just two different types of reception and reaction to it. So the first one, he says, blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness sake. And so when we first we have to understand what we're being what they're being persecuted for and what he's preparing them to be persecuted for. And so he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so we talk about righteousness a lot because righteousness is not something of our own. Remember, we talk about this righteousness that has been given to us. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing or reorientation before God towards God. In the way we live, in the way we act, in the way we navigate our life. It's a complete orientation of life towards the will of God. And so the Beatitudes have been preparing His people for this moment. He's been making them, building them up into the righteousness that He has and the righteousness that He has for them. 
And so, you know, when we started, we were talking about who, what we are and the moving into how we act and being peacemakers, being merciful, uh, moving into how we will be received. And he says that we will be received as persecuted and reviled. And so what is that? insinuating to us? What is that communicating to us today? And so when he says persecuted, we're talking about being persecuted for what? Righteousness sake, for living according to or being dedicated to a right standing before God, not according to man's standards. And so this is where the clash begins to happen, because like we said, the Sermon on the Mount was a very countercultural mindset, especially for the religious uh, elite, because the religious elite kind of held themselves to a very high standard of education, of 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 social standards. They were the wealthy folk. They were the heavy hitters. And so when Jesus is teaching that those who have the kingdom of God, those who are blessed by God, those who have inheritance are meek and poor in spirit and hungering and thirsting for something that they don't already have, like that that would have shaken them up. They'd have been like, there's no, 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 no. Like that's not what we're meant to be. And so then especially when he starts to talk about being persecuted and reviled, In their minds, the religious elite, their minds was that the Savior was coming, the Messiah was coming to elevate them to a level of strength and authority that no power, no government, no authority on earth could overtake them, could stand against them. Could, that, that they would be the powerhouse. And so for them to be communicated to that, no, blessed are those, happy are those, remember happiness at its fullest experience, its deepest place, happy are those who are persecuted and reviled, who are spoken falsely about. That would have just blown their minds. And so, but he's telling them, listen, it's because what you believe in, what you will follow will not be popular in the general consensus. It will not be widely accepted and you will be persecuted for it. You will be marginalized for it. You will be pressed out of the center of cultural acceptance and be left on the outside because it will not be according to man's standards. I read a quote this week. It said this. It says, if a Christian is not having tribulation or difficulty in navigating the world, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And why is that? Well, David writes about this in Psalm 120, verse 7. He says, I am for peace. He says, I am for peace. But when I speak, this is God, but when I speak, they're for war. They don't like it. The world's natural inclination about who God is and who Christ is, they don't like it. Listen, that's why our world spends countless millions of dollars trying to disprove the existence of God. I mean, in all of these ways, and all, I mean, people dedicate their whole lives to trying to disprove something. And my thing is, if we have to work that hard to disprove it, it's likely. You've been spending thousands of years trying to disprove it. It's likely Maybe it's true, right? We're spinning our wheels, but that's the nature of the unsaved world. It's going to push back against it. And there's a lot of reasons why, and we'll kind of navigate that as we move forward. But he tells them, listen, they mean when I speak, they are for war. And so when we talk about being persecuted, what do we mean? Because for a lot of us... 
Western civilization, persecution is kind of distant from us. We don't know persecution like most of the rest of the world knows persecution. For us, persecution is just having an argument. With, for, to us, in our minds, we think of persecution being someone saying, making an ugly comment to us about what we believe or, or saying something negative about what we believe. And, you know, it, it's inevitable, especially for our students as they enter into the college space, as they, because uh, I've sat in them, as you sit in sociology classes and psychology classes and cultural study classes, you're going to get just a barrage of reasons why religion is wrong and reasons why you shouldn't follow organized religion and all these types of things. It's, it's, it's in the systems. It's what's being taught. It's what's being communicated. And part of that is a sense of persecution, and we'll get to that, but to understand that persecution can be more than physical harm. When we talk about the word persecuted, we can mean harassed. And then there's also a definition of persecution that would communicate this, uh, someone who is hunted. You know, this is commonly used uh, for wild beasts who are pursued by hunters. So that's the thing we have to understand, that as Christians, as you navigate, if you are trying to live and pursuing a life according to righteousness, because that's the space, that's the, the precursor, because if we're not attempting to live according to righteousness' sake, we, we won't be persecuted. Why? Because we're falling in line with the world. We're falling in line with the expectation. We're falling in line with the standard. We're falling in line with the majority. And so he tells them the precursor to, the precursor to persecution is living according to righteousness' sake. And so within that, he says, no, that you will be persecuted. You will be hunted. They will come after you to disprove you. Because there's a lot about what you believe that makes them face things about themselves. And it's, it's the reality of our, our lives. I mean, we come here every Sunday morning. And, 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 and any time you engage God and you're faced with your wrongs, right? You're faced with how short we fall. But the difference is, the difference is for us is that we see beyond the shame of that, right? Because we've been rescued. We've been redeemed. Thank God that His mercies are new every day. Thank God that His grace never runs out, that it's overflowing, that it's pouring out. But outside of the sphere of Christ's belief, the rest of the world just sees it as oppression. Right? The rest of the world sees it as God robbing you of some type of experience that God just doesn't want you to live life to its fullest. He wants you to be ashamed of yourself constantly. He wants you to be absent from, from a worldly experience. He wants you to be just missing out. And so because of us, because especially because we live, live a life of, 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 of the, the fear, uh, literally the fear of missing out, we're constantly being drawn back into these experiences. And so that's where the world presses back. And so he tells them, you know, he tells them that you will be persecuted. You will be hunted down for your pursuit of righteousness, trying to live according to the moral standards, the biblical standards in your marriage and in, in the way you raise your children. Listen, that's one thing with my kids when me and my wife talk and, you know, we let them know, listen, there are going to be things that are different. And listen, your friends are going to ask questions about choices we make or things we do, and I'm just prepping you for it. And, you're, and it never makes it easy because it's hard to be marginalized, right? It's, it's hard to be left out. It's hard to be on the outside. But I love, I love how Christ constantly comes back in the midst of when he's speaking these things and he gives these really heavy truths. And then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom 
The communal experience of the heavenly places is yours. Remember, we talk about that already, but not yet, right? So there is a greater experience for it to be had. There is. There's a lot that we have not experienced as people of God right now. But there is an already. There's an already that's happening now. A kingdom that we experience. Not that that this earth is a kingdom yet. It's not there. And God will come back and make this his kingdom. And this is where we'll dwell for all eternity at some point with the new heavens and new earth collide. But right now, there is a kingdom experience that we have amongst each other. Through the people of God coming together, gathering together, leaning on each other, supporting each other, loving each other in the midst of... This pursuit in the midst of this persecution. You know, when our students, when our students navigate a cultural experience that does not accept their Christian way of life, they need a place to be supported and encouraged. You know, that's why the things we do for our kids and for our children and young adults and and even each other as, as grown people, as adults, this support is so vital. Because if we're living right, then it's gonna feel wrong to everyone else, right? It's going to feel like we don't fit, like a square peg trying to go into a circle hole. Like there's going to be certain situations we get in, like we're going to feel a little uncomfortable. And the things we say and the way we act and the things we do are going to feel a little uncomfortable. And and inevitably, it's going to make others uncomfortable that you're not participating. And so then it gets, there's, there's a situation that happens. This, 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 this change that is happening around us. And then he continues on and he says, listen, you know, there is the risk of, of physical persecution and, and, and the hunting and the harassing. But then he even goes on to the extent to say this. He says in verse 11, he says, blessed are you or happy are you when others revile you revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And I think this is the place for Western American Christianity where we're going to experience it the most. Because the argument against God is always is more heavily going to lean into the negativity of it, right? If God is so good, why do bad things happen, right? If, if God is so good, then why do kids get cancer? If God is so good, why do horrible people do horrible things to innocent people? You know, if God was so good, then, you know, it's, it's all this negativity. It's all where religion is at the root of all wars and all battles and all horrific things. You know, it's, that's the things that's going to come out. And that's so when we read something like this and we read, you know, to be prepared because they're going to revile you and they're going to, speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account like that is this is written before those arguments even started and now we're living in a day and age when listen God's not surprised this is what he said would happen he said they're going to lie about me they're going to lie about what we stand for as people they're going to lie about our intentions they're going to tell you that the Christian faith is nothing but an oppressive hateful group of people that hates everybody and just wants to control everybody. That is the narrative that wants to be spit out. And what God is telling us is, listen, they're going to speak falsely about me. So be prepared for it. Be prepared for it. Listen, and, and they, they began after Christianity really began to get going. It began to start immediately. It began to start immediately. Uh, cultural, uh, the culture misrepresented their intentions and their practices even from shortly after the beginning of the Christian faith. They were accused of cannibalism whenever Jesus was teaching about the Lord's Supper. 
They were accused of terrorism later on as the Roman, you know, that, that, that they were trying to overthrow the Roman government. You know, they were accused of purposely and in, in, in seeking out to split families because a belief in Christ would typically cause division if they believed differently in a, in a, in a household. They would be accused of treason. They would be accused of all these things that were false, that were, were not the intention of God's people, that was not the, what they were doing, not how they were existing. But this is how the response of what God was intending and Jesus was teaching for his people to expect. Listen, as you begin to take everything that I've built you to be and empowered you to be and you begin to step out, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. Isaiah 51, 7, he says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. And when we say revilings, we're talking about like the slandering and the, the, the backbiting and the lying that happens in regards to our faith. Philippians 1, 29 says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Listen, so the expectation of how we move into our lives and as we move into the work that Christ has called us to, he says, Paul writes to the Philippians, listen, be ready. Know that you may suffer for the sake of Christ, for the work that he has done. And listen, suffering may not always mean we're going to burn at a stake, but it may mean we're going to be a little uncomfortable. It may mean we stick out like a sore thumb in the social circles that we navigate. As we navigate school, as you navigate friend groups, as you navigate work situations, that you stick out. And in the midst of that, you feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. And he tells us that. Listen, because if we chase comfort, we'll constantly be captives. If we chase comfort, we will constantly be captives to that comfort. Because the state of comfort will constantly change. What needs to be done to be comfortable will constantly change. Where Christ tells us, he just lays it out. He says, listen, they're not going to receive you the way that you think you want to be. That makes you Accepted. That makes you comfortable. And then he says, he even tells them, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Romans 5.3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces what? Produces endurance. It produces this ability within us to press on. Right? That's the reason we stress ourselves physically, right? To build endurance, to be able to carry on, to be able to push past our inabilities, to be able to push past that place at which we were once too weak to do. As we, we want to build endurance. And it's the same thing spiritually. The problem is a lot of times is we're too afraid to allow ourselves to be pressed, to be uncomfortable, to be challenged. And so within that, because we don't allow ourselves to be pressed or to be pushed or to be challenged, then we lack spiritual endurance. And so then the moment that we step into a situation that we're uncomfortable with, what happens? We get fatigued spiritually, right? We give out. You know, whether it's for me as a father, as I try to raise my children or, 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 or you know, and parent or, or be the husband that I'm called to be. If I've not allowed myself to be stressed and to be pressed spiritually, then when those moments happen that I need to be spiritually strong, my, I'm in, my legs are going to get like jelly, right? I mean, if you, if you tried to run much, I mean, it don't take as much as it used to for me anymore. I could run from here to the, the door down the 
down the sidewalk and I'll get tired. But, you know, for us, you know, physically, when you run and your legs begin to give out, like it takes everything that you have to move on. And, and the, we, the, the less endurance we have, the, the shorter the distance is that we carry on and the less that we can do. And so what he's telling us here is spiritually, that if we don't allow ourselves to be in places where we're uncomfortable spiritually, in spaces where we're uncomfortable, in spaces where we're challenged, then we'll never have the endurance that we need to push past the significant spiritual challenges that will face us. Inevitably, that will face us, that will come upon us. And so he tells them all this. I I love the transitions, because remember, when we read, and you read in your Bible, and it has all these headers, it's really easy to read the Bible and make it feel very disconnected, or like maybe it's different days, or maybe it's a different situation, or a different setting. But in reality, a lot of, especially the Sermon on the Mount, this is one and done constant thing that all interconnects and ties together. And so when he goes from this and he tells you that you will be persecuted for righteousness sake, that you will be reviled, that you will be spoken falsely against, you're like, man, so what's he going to tell me to do? Is he going to tell me to lay low? Is he going to tell me to hide out? Is he going to tell me that I need to like kind of just be quiet and just kind of fit in? No, I love what he says next. Just straight into it, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. And so what does that mean? It means that he had been preparing them, strengthening them, helping them understand this is going to be the reception. And the responsibility that you have is not to hide. It is not to run. It is not to avoid. But it is to be present. It is to be seen. It is to be in the midst of it. Because what does he say? The first thing he says in Matthew 5.13, he says, you are salt. Right? You are the salt of the earth. And the thing we know about salt is that salt has some distinctives. That salt is an additive. Salt is something that is put into it, right? And so the first thing, the most obvious thing that salt does is it brings flavor to something, right? You add salt to it and it brings flavor. It changes the, 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 the taste. It changes the experience of its host, right? Of whatever you've added it to. And not only that, but what else does salt do? That It infuses with whatever it is, right? I mean, you don't just see it lying on there. The more you cook something down or add to it, 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 it infuses into it. And it begins, begins to become a part of that to change it. Not to be what it was before, but to make it something different in the experience, right? And so it tells us the first thing we can know, the distinctive about being salt of the earth and salt, uh, to, uh, salt in the world is that it changes it. It intends to bring something different to it. And not only that, but the other distinctive about salt, and probably the most important thing that that salt does is it's a preservative, right? It's a preservative. It inhibits decay. It inhibits corruption. It sustains. It, 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 It brings about an element of retention. It keeps, it holds together. That's what we bring to the world around us, to our children, to our relationships, to the people we engage, to our community. It's preservation. A fix to the corruption that sin causes in our lives. A a, a fix, a retention of life 
that it offers, that Christ, that the gospel offers in the world that we engage with. He says, you are the salt. Bring that to the world. That yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, you're going to be persecuted. Yes, you're going to be falsely lied about. You're going to be reviled. You're going to be slandered. And with that, jump right into it. Cover it. Be a part of it. Let it be known. Let it be seen what you bring, what you offer, what you can be to the people around that desperately need. It says that you can be the salt. You can add the flavor. You can add the change. You can add the infusion, the difference that the gospel offers through what Christ has given you. And not only that, but you offer a preservation that will, that will fight against the corruption of sin in our lives and the decay it causes to the family, to the decay it causes to the men in our world, to the decay it causes, to the women of our world, to the decay that sin will cause. He says the gospel is the only preservative that will fix that. And he offers that to us. And he gives us the power to wield that in the world that we live in. Colossians 4, 6, when Paul is speaking to the Colossians and he's telling them about engaging the world, says, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Let it be spoken with the intentions of bringing change and preservation, not through my own abilities or my own, uh, my own standards, but the standards of the gospel and what God has and what God wants to do in that. Salt is an additive with purpose, with power, with effectiveness. And not only does he call us, says that we are the salt of the earth, but he also says that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the thing about light is light has some distinctives, right? Light has some distinctives. The first thing that light does is it brings illumination, making dark spaces easier to navigate, more easily to see, allowing us the ability to navigate the spaces that we navigate. And so he tells us that you are the light of the world. So what does that mean? Is that we as Christians are meant to bring illumination into the dark unknown spaces of the lives that people navigate around us. Is it our job to fix it? No. That's, God will do that. God will do the change. God will do the work. But God says, but I need the light there and you're the light. Be there. Be present in their lives because you bring a sense of illumination. Right? That's what we do for each other. Like the beautiful thing that we do when we, we step into the lives, when, when we make ourselves available to lean in the lives of someone else in the family of God, what do we bring? We can, be, we can bring a sense of illumination, right? Like I think about it even like this, like when you have a conversation with someone who's navigating some difficult experiences in life, the people in the midst of it always feel like it, because I've lived this and I've been this and had to have someone come and have conversation with me but in the midst of it you don't see it the same way that the people on the outside do right like your brothers and sisters who really love you like they'll be looking at the situation and be like man that's just not a great thing for them like what what you're doing what how how things are happening like I, i'm see they see it from a different perspective because the people in the midst of the struggle they're in the dark they don't see it and sometimes what they need is they need that brother or sister in Christ to lean in, to bring that illumination and say, hey, I love you. And we hate to do this because it's so uncomfortable, but leaning into the life of someone else and say, hey, I love you. But I see this. And I think this is, this is hurting you spiritually, physically, in your marriage, in your job, whatever it might be. Leaning in and bringing some illumination. 
We can bring illumination for each other as our brothers and sisters and ourselves are navigating spaces of darkness where we don't see the issue or we don't see the problem or we don't see the sin. And the next thing is this. Not only does it bring illumination, but it allows for recognition. It allows for recognition so that we can more clearly see what something is or who someone is. It helps bring clarity. Light brings clarity to a situation because what happens in the dark as you try to see and fix your eyes on something, you can only see so much of it, right? You can see the silhouette, but you can't see the details. You can't see the specifics. And so what the light of Christ brings into the life of a believer is recognition so that we can see. I mean, that's what Christ constantly does to me in my life is He leans in and He says, hey, listen, you need to fix this. You need to recognize this as an issue. Listen, and that's a constant process that God is doing with us. That He tells us, listen, this is what this is. This is what this situation is. And in a sense, what we're talking about is discernment. Knowing what we're navigating, knowing what we're doing, knowing what we're engaging with. But that doesn't come from within me. That comes from Christ. That comes from my brothers and sisters in Christ illuminating the spaces around me so that I can have recognition of the things that I need to do, things I need to say, the choices I need to make. It helps bring clarity. The light brings clarity. And then the last thing would be this, that the light also exposes. It exposes it finds the hidden things, right? It finds the hidden things that may not normally be seen or may normally be missed or overlooked. You know, and, and so when we read something like this and we read and think to ourselves to be the light of the world, our greatest fear of that, our greatest fear of that, it's not what it shows us out ahead of us, but it's what it reveals within us. Because the thing is, is that you can't carry light without that light shining back on you a little bit, right? You can't navigate that space without the light revealing something about who you are, what you do, or where you're at. And I think that's some of our greatest fears about being a visible Christian in the world that we live in is we're afraid of what it's going to reveal about us. We're afraid of what it's going to show the world. Because we think to ourselves... Yeah, they don't, I, don't, I don't need to be seen. They don't need to see me. They don't need to be, they don't, I don't need to reveal to them anything about me. I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's not, God doesn't want them to see me. God doesn't want me to be that light in that space because they're going to see too much of me and there's a better person for the, that job. And so we navigate these spaces of fear where we're afraid to be the light because we're afraid of what the light's going to show. And the problem with that is, is that we, we've convinced ourselves that there are actually things that are unseen. We've convinced ourselves that there are actually things that are not affecting us or not affecting other people if we can just keep them hidden, if we can just keep them out of, out of the spotlight. And that we actually think to ourselves that, that we are bad enough that God can't use us in that space. But listen, Paul says this in Ephesians. He says... Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, he says, But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
And the thing is, and Luke says this in Luke 18 to 8, 17, he says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So listen, there's nothing that we navigate in our lives. And that's the thing for us as Christians, because the thing about it, the thing that holds us back is our pride, because we think to ourselves that we're too bad or we're not useful. And there's nothing that I, I, I just I don't want people to see me in that light. You know, I don't I don't you know, and I think that even affects us when we deal with our kids, because even I've dealt with that sometimes, you know, it's like I don't want to be super spiritual because I don't feel like I'm great at it. And so I'm going to hold back and I'm not going to do what I know God has called me to do. But the reality is God says you are the light. You are the salt. It wasn't you can be. It wasn't that you might be. It says that you are the salt. You are the light. It's already been spoken over us. It's already been given to us. So it's not a question at which God intends to use us in those capacities to be seen, to be known, to be present, taking into consideration that the God of the universe already knows your sin and He still says that you are the light. The God of the universe already knows your weakness, but He still says you are the salt. The God of the universe already knows what you are in, incapable of doing and the failures that you are likely to step into. And he says, you are the salt. You are the light. You are the ones that God intends to use. If you have called yourself a believer in Christ today, he says that you have the job. You've got it. No more interview, right? No more resume, uh, you know, no more looking through the resume. No more process. He says, you have it. You are the salt. You are the light. It's yours. Carry it. Take it. Season it. Preserve it. Illuminate it. It's you. Because listen, it's seen already. Your sin's seen. Even the things you think are in secret right now, they've already been seen. The good thing or the beautiful thing about our God is our God is faithful and just to forgive. And He says, just come. Just ask. Just ask. And I'll forgive. And then listen. Then when you step into those spaces, and this is where I constantly have to live myself. I step into those spaces and people say, Okay, well, you're telling me this, but I mean, you like this, 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 and this, especially in a community where you grew up and you've lived your whole life. I mean, people could have a lot of things to say about me. I mean, uh, uh, as far as how I lived or how, how I lived as, as a young man or even how I, I may make mistakes now. But listen, the thing that I, I can say confidently is, hey, you're absolutely right. I'm messed up just like you are. I got faults just like you do. I got sin that I struggle with just like you do. And you know what? Christ still chose me. Christ still has called me. Christ still leads and guides me. And it's the same thing he does for each and every one of us. He offers us that same confidence to step in so that people can't rub things in our face and say, hey, remember when you this or remember when you that or remember when you did this or remember when you were this person? Remember when you hurt this person? Remember when you said this? Listen, the worst thing we can do is ever pretend like we haven't or we're not or that we're perfect. Because then when we face the light, it reveals to us that we're absolutely not perfect. So the problem is, in a lot of the spaces we navigate in churches, is we step into churches and we're convinced we have to feel like that when the, that we have to feel like that we've got it all together and that we don't have sin, we don't have issues, and that we're perfect little, little Christian people. And then we step into the spaces of the light and we can't ever truly step into that space because we're afraid that the light's going to reveal to the world around us that we're a phony and that we're a fraud and that as much as we put on the good face and the much as we put on like we've got it all together, we don't. But that's the beautiful thing about the gospel, guys, is that God already knows. And that if you're a saved believer in Jesus this morning, he knew that. 
He knew that at, at the, your conception, the mess that you were going to step into when you could eventually step. He knew the mistakes you would make as soon as you can make a mistake. He knew the egregious sin that you would accept. And you know what? If you're a saved believer in Christ this morning, the reason you're a saved believer in Christ this morning is because Christ chose you. He leaned into your life and he said, come on. Come on, I've got a spot at the table for you. I've got a job for you to be salt and light, no matter the mess you've made. I've got a job for you, and I'll clean it up. I'll even use that mess. And that's what's beautiful about what Jesus does, is He takes the junk that we've done in our past, and He uses it as a platform at which we stand on, and we say, listen, this was a mess, and this was wrong, but Christ still chose to use me. Christ still chose to call me. Christ still chose to use me my life as an example of what the gospel is. Broken people being rescued from broken situations and then being repurposed to be salt and light in a broken, dying, and corrupt world. That's what God has chosen to do with us and that's how He chooses to use us. Listen, Christ knew that there would be a strong temptation for men and women to hide. He knew there would be a strong temptation for men and women to hide. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be lied about. We don't want, to, we don't want our religion to be blasted, blasted out there as being uh, oppressive and hateful. But he says, listen, you're salt and light. It's not that you will be. It's not that you might be. It's not that if you're strong enough. He says, it's not that if you become it. He says, you are salt and light. That's why he's preparing. Listen. It's going to be tough sometimes. The majority of the time as a Christian, and the more time moves on, the more difficult it's going to be. If you haven't already noticed, statistics will tell you Christianity is declining drastically with every passing year. With every passing year. Listen, these buildings... will continue over time, to just become buildings, right? It's going to become more difficult. But what he tells us is he tells us that there's a kingdom that is ours. There's a hope that we live in. There's a hope that we lie in. And the reality of it is this, and this is where we have to be, we have to be patient and we have to endure. Because as much as the world around us will push back, will lie, will ridicule, will stiff arm any attempt that we have at pursuing them, to share Christ with them. There's always, always going to be, there's always going to be a need for people to know something deeper. Because the moment they come to the end of themselves, they're going to be looking for something deeper, something real. And that's what we have to always be ready to offer. Listen, they're not always going to believe us, they're not always going to trust us, but that's what we have to be ready to offer. And so the thing about it is, as I finish up, and, and the band can go ahead and come and get ready, but as we worship this morning, as we end with a time of worship, but remember, the thing about salt and light, church, is that salt and light are noticed. They're not hidden unless we hide them, right? And they're not, they're, they're, they, they miss the point if it's not applied appropriately, Right? If it's not placed where it needs to be, if the light is seen, uh, when, you know, if it, the position of the light is not put properly or the salt is not placed in the proper spot, he tells us, let your light be seen. Let it be known. And he tells us, let the salt be tasty. And so that what that means is that apply it 
just, just give it all. Just pour it out. It says don't, don't do it lightly or sparingly. Put it where it needs to be and let it be known. Let it, let it affect it. Let it change it. And let the light be like a city on a hill. Don't hide it under a basket. And so there is our responsibility in how we use the light, how we use the salt, to do it in a way where we're not afraid to be seen and, and let it be experienced and let it be known. Don't hide. Don't be a background. Be a focal point. Be a necessity in the spaces that you live. Because listen, if you live confidently in your faith in the spaces you live, people will turn to you. And it may take a tragedy, it may take some type of difficult situation, but if they know that you have something that they don't know about, but it offers them some sort of stability and strength in their life, they're gonna turn to you and they're gonna begin to ask questions. They're gonna ask you, hey, I just wanna know more about this. I want to know what drives you. I want to know what keeps you, what helps pull you through. And especially if you yourself have navigated seasons of difficulty, whether it's sin or hurt or, or some type of, uh, of disappointment or some type of struggle or some type of loss, then when you are carried, Christ has carried you to the end of that and the world around you that may have persecuted, reviled you or lied falsely about you begins to hurt or experience some sort of difficulty or trial, they're going to be looking for some sort of sustainable foundation. And this is the only place they're going to find it. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. I love how Christ lets them know, listen, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be lied about and you're going to be reviled. But that isn't where he lands the plane. What does he say? He says, even though this world is going to do this to you, be in the world. And not be of the world, but be in the world. Be salt to that world. Be light to that world. Be present. Let them see your faith and be confident about it. Don't be like them. They don't need another person to act like them. They need someone to be different. That points them to something different. Not perfect, not perfect, but different. Confident in something except themselves. Confident in something besides what they do and who they are. Defined and identified by something besides what's around them. But identified by something greater. And that's what we can offer. We offer preservation to keep life from decaying due to sin and shame. We bring flavor to life so that it means something and has purpose and has changed. And we bring illumination and bring clarity to the confused and uncertain landscape of the life we navigate. And listen, this isn't by our own strength and not for our own reasons. But he tells us at the end, he says, for your reward is great in heaven. So he says, rejoice and be glad. Sorry at the end of this and he says let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven listen it's not it's not for me and my glory and it's not for us but it's for the glory of God and that should give us so much peace to know that we're not pointing it back to ourselves even what we illuminate about ourselves it's not about us it's not a, you know even the works that we made seen make seen and let ourselves be visible and let ourselves be 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 amongst the people to draw them not to ourselves but it says to give to our Father in heaven. So let's do this this morning. If you wouldn't mind standing and joining me as we pray together, we ask God just to reveal to us some things about our own lives, some things that we desperately need, some, some ways at which we need to be challenged and be pressed to be pushed into these spaces of first understanding the challenge that comes. But the task that God has given us to be salt and light, to be present in that very world that will persecute, that will lie, that will revile, that will speak falsely on Christ's account. And we pray 
pray and we seek that as individuals this morning and to know, to know that if we feel, if we're outside of that space, of, of that family of God, that inheritance, we've not put our faith in Christ. God says, and, and He speaks to us in that, and He says, come to the table. He says, I've made a place for you. Come. He says, just repent. Acknowledge your need for me, and I will embrace you, and I will make you my own. You know, that's the thing that we, this, this year, I hope that we can begin to push and begin to encourage people as we enter into these spaces is to begin, begin to celebrating milestone moments in our lives. You know, as we follow through in baptism, as we acknowledge our faith before people, as we dedicate our children before our faith family, and we acknowledge our, 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 our just commitment to God and our faith family and the things that we do. You know, God has called us to celebrate milestone moments. And so what I pray for you as you navigate your own spiritual space, that, that you pray, that you seek. If you need someone else to pray with, and guarantee he can meet you in the back or there'll be other people in here that you maybe you know you feel comfortable with. Grab them, pray with them, seek whatever that moment is. See how God wants to challenge you and see how he wants to use you to be salt and light in your own family and the community we live in and in the church that we worship in. So let's pray together and seek what God has for us. Father God, we just love you so much. Lord, we thank you for what you give us. We thank you for what you offer us, Lord, in your son Jesus. And I pray this morning that we can just step confidently into the work that you have for us, Lord, that we can celebrate your goodness, that we can worship, Lord, you in spirit and truth and know, God, even when the world reviles us and pushes us away and doesn't agree with us, God, that we can be confident and endure, Lord, and stay close and hold fast to the truth you've given us, Lord, to just continue to be that hub. God, continue to be that rally point that people can come to, to know the gospel and that we can bring it to them at those points and share the gospel. Lord, because the gospel is life. The gospel is truth. The gospel is grace. The gospel is mercy, Lord. So I pray. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to confidently step into those spaces and to worship you and to be those people in this arena, Lord, as we come together and see you for who you are and what you do, Lord. We just thank you. God, we thank you that we don't do any of this on our own. God, we thank you that we don't navigate this space in our own strength, but we do it in you and with you. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Church, sing with us this morning.